Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, let me tell you what's going on today uh, with me. If I got a runny nose, um, uh, this flu bug or whatever that's uh, hitting everybody, it, it started getting a hold of me yesterday. It's It's maintaining its control of me today. And so uh, I got my Kleenex up here because my nose is running. I got boogers and snot running all out of my nose. And uh, anyway, but we're going to get through it. We're going to have a great show uh, today. And uh, this show will potentially be long. And it may be potentially what I'm hoping is that uh, we can tape two shows in one here. And so you may see part one of my response to Stephen A. Smith. And then I think on Monday, uh, you would get part two of my response to Stephen A. Smith. We wouldn't air part two on Friday because Friday people are busy and whatnot. But we, we, because I'm not feeling the greatest, I'm going to try to get a lot done today and get out ahead of the fact that there's bad weather heading for Nashville and Dallas uh, obviously, we're here in Nashville. Uh, a lot of the Blaze headquarters and studio that we work in tandem with is in Dallas. And so I'm thinking we can get enough done here in the response to Stephen A. Smith that we could have today's show and a show for Monday just in case bad weather wrecks Nashville, wrecks Dallas, and makes it hard to put out a show. So uh, buckle up. I, I do want to... Uh, uh, asked you to start hitting the likes if you're watching over YouTube. Uh, if you're listening over uh, Apple, we need that five-star rating. We need you to write a review. It's important as we fight the algorithms. I think if you've been paying attention, it, it's coming into full focus, just like how much of a headwind we have, the truth has in American media particularly in this matrix system they've built over the internet. And I need you guys to volunteer to help me fight uh, that headwind, that algorithm, algorithmic headwind, uh, and just the, the fixing. And so let me uh, pivot a little bit or just frame up a tiny bit before I really get rolling. Uh, Nah, nah, nah. I, I, let me take care of business because that way, once I get rolling, I won't have to stop or I won't have to stop that often. So uh, let me tell you about what you can do tomorrow, uh, if you would like. I'm going to be hosting an off-the-record conversation uh, on Blaze TV+. Plus. This off-the-record conversation will be tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Blaze TV Plus subscribers have exclusive access to ask me anything. 
I figured <laughs> a few of you would have some questions about me uh, for Fat Bastard. I'll come in character as Fat Bastard. But anyway, I'm going to open myself up to any question, comment, uh, anything you want to ask me about the Stephen A. Smith story and his book and what's going on with this feud between Stephen A. and I. Uh, and so we're going to do an off the record uh, for Blaze TV Plus subscribers. If you join Blaze TV Plus right now and use my promo code, Fat Bastard, all one word, uh, you can get $30 off your subscription. This discount is for only a limited time, and it's the best way to support this show and stay connected if Big Tech were ever to try to silence this program. Again, it's tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to blazetv.com slash fearless to subscribe for just thir for $30, or no, $30 off. Again, use my promo code, uh, Fat It's <coughs> I'm sorry if I'm not 1,000% on my A game today. I, I wish that I was, but trust me, the content is going to be amazing. We're going to have a, if you did not see it, I want to start with, uh, the conclusion, Stephen A. Smith taped a 50-minute response to the criticism I've had of his book, uh, his response to my review of his book. He went on YouTube last night around 6 or 7 p.m. and unloaded, profanity-laced, uh, very emotional uh, response uh, to what I've had to say about his book and questions I have about his books and the stories he's told. And so I, I just want to start here by sh showing you, this will be sot number one. This is the conclusion of Stephen A's 45, 50-minute rant last night. But I asked for everybody indulgence for one show and one show only. And please do not allow this to be a reflection on my character because this is not how I act every day. But I mean it from my soul when I say this is the worst human being I've ever known. I don't know of another human being worse than Jason Whitlock. He is a piece of shit. He's the dude that's going to have a funeral and ain't going to be no pallbearers. Might be two people to show up. He's that dude. He is the absolute worst. And he lies. And he incriminates. And he tries to set people up to fail, to big up himself because he can't do it on his own. He had a television show. He failed. He's had opportunities one time after another. He doesn't measure up. And now he's coming at the big dog. And let me tell you something right now. I am the big dog. I ain't the only one. I ain't the only one. There's plenty. Skip Bayless, apologies to him, too, for bringing up Jason Whitlock's name in the same sentence as him. But we all know what time it is. Everyone knows. All the executives at all the networks, they know what a piece of shit he is. And they begged me not to do this. But even my pastor, A.R. Bernard, said, I'm not happy about it. But every now and then we got to do what we got to do. I promise you, and last to my sister Carmen, I won't do this again. I promise you. I know you're cringing. You didn't want me to do this. I'm sorry, sis. It was necessary. He's a sorry, fat 
piece of shit. A no of the worst order. He is the worst human being any of you will ever meet. You get within a mile of his presence. Wrap your arms around yourself to protect your soul. He is Cain. He is a devil. The worst. That's all I have to say. So <clears throat> that's Stephen A. Smith's uh, reaction, and, and we'll play some other clips and highlights from it. I do want to uh, tell the media off top, just so I can put things in proper perspective, Stephen A. Smith did a 45, 50-minute uh, rant tirade about me. My response will be longer. And, and so I, I don't want you to say, ah, oh, Whitlock did a two-hour rebuttal or a two-day rebuttal to Stephen A. Smith. The reason why my response will be longer and the reason why my videos and previous shows have been longer is because it's not just me talking. I have aired out and played a bunch of comments that Stephen A has said to, to give him a voice and show to prove, to provide factual evidence. I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating. This is what the man said on television or on his podcast, or you see me read excerpts from his book. And that takes up time. And because I'm trying to give you the proper context to understand everything I'm saying about Stephen A. Smith. I'm not doing this willy nilly. Stephen A. Smith went on a name calling profanity laced rant. Uh, he did not address any of the things that questions I've raised about uh, the farcical, far-fetched, seemingly fabricated stories in his book. Didn't respond to any of that. It's just a bunch of ranting and raving and name-calling and profanity, and that takes a lot less time. When you have no substance and all you can do is bloviate, you can do that in 30 minutes. You can do that in 40 minutes. And, and call, hey, oh, we cooked Whitlock, and boy, wasn't that great. In order to unpack the truth, it takes a little bit longer. And so I'm going to respond with a more thoughtful, uh, substantive response, and I'm gonna give Stephen A. I will play clips from his rant. Uh, we'll play clips uh, from his past that provide context. Uh, the last thing I want to say just in setting up uh, this conversation is this morning uh, I was on YouTube looking at the reaction, seeing all the people that were uh, responding or, and whatnot, and uh, I saw that Kwame Brown was doing a live. Kwame Brown's the former NBA player um, that Stephen A, first round draft pick and can't remember the exact year, maybe 2000. I, I can't remember. But Kwame Brown uh, and Stephen A have had an ongoing feud. And so it was interesting. I wanted to see what Kwame Brown had to say about it. And the title, Kwame Brown has a uh, YouTube page, I think, called Kwame Brown Bus Life. It's pretty popular. Uh, he and Stephen A, two, three years ago, he eviscerated Stephen A. Smith. Uh, 
and so Kwame Brown had a title of his show that said, uh, Stephen A. Smith destroys Jason Whitlock and something on the back end about Cat Williams. I found it odd, but not, I, I, I get it. What, what, you know, I, I get it. And so I went into the chat because I know Kwame and I'm supportive of Kwame and I defended Kwame during his uh, beef with Stephen A. Smith. And so I got in the chat and I just typed into Kwame Brown like, man, I destroyed Stephen A. Smith. And Kwame's response was, hey, man, basically it was, hey, man, there's some tricks you got to play on the Internet to get engagement. And, and what Kwame said that I was like, oh, man, Kwame is really hip to the game. And he knows exactly what he's doing on YouTube. And it just the reason I bring this up, because I'm trying to explain to people that uh this thing is so rigged at the very beginning that someone like Kwame Brown realizes, hey, if I put the truth up in a title, YouTube, Google, the algorithms will not support this content. So in the title, he has to mislead in order to bait people into engagement in order to bait YouTube into suggesting his content. Because if he puts out content that says Stephen A. Smith makes a fool of himself in 50 minute rant, Stephen A. Smith has embarrassed ESPN in 50 minute rant. Uh, Stephen A. Smith has no substantive response to what Jason Whitlock exposed about him. Kwame Brown and everybody on the internet knows, well, that won't get traction. The truth doesn't get traction. It's not supported over the internet. They have created a rigged system. Everybody knows it's rigged. Everybody knows there's a game you have to play and everybody knows you have to avoid the truth to get the traction and popularity that you want. That's the system they have built in Silicon Valley. That's the system that the media operates in, that they know that we can't tell the truth if we want clicks, if we want engagement. And so when you punch in to Google my name or Stephen A. Smith's name, what you're going to read, headlines all across uh, the internet from all different sorts of media outlets. Stephen A. Smith eviscerates Jason Whitlock. Uh, Stephen A. Smith calls Whitlock fat bastard and a piece of doo-doo. Stephen A. Smith, it's all that. No one can actually say Stephen A. Smith, the face of ESPN, just put together a 50-minute video it's one of the most embarrassing things we've ever seen from a high-profile media person. That can't be said because people won't click on that and the Internet won't promote that. The Internet is rigged for lies. And so I, what I'm trying to do and what I've been doing, the... Uh, Last couple of weeks or since Cat Williams came out 
and, and made those statements on Shannon Sharp's podcast. I've been trying to explain to you, t- taking Cat Williams's controversial, provocative, entertaining interview and trying to explain to you the deeper meaning of what Cat is talking about. And so Cat, at some point early on in that interview with Shannon Sharp said, basically it's gonna be God's people versus everybody else. And what he's basically saying, and he's calling it the year of truth, the year of exposure. And what he's saying is the, the truth has been so obliterated that now we have nothing left to do but unleash the truth in its rawest form to combat the wicked, devilish, demonic attack on truth. If you want to know how we got to a point where we think it's okay for men to compete against girls and for people to say that uh, men can get pregnant and that gender is fluid and it's just a feeling. That's all an attack on truth. And they've built a system that attacks truth, that penalizes truth, that diminishes, censors truth. You guys are, and and the, the battle over freedom of speech is real. But the more dangerous threat isn't, and, and look, taking away people's free speech is really dangerous and important. Destroying truth and building a communication system across the internet that everybody's being trained and your cell phone is where you go to find truth. And they built a system to demolish truth. There's nothing more wicked than that on the planet. That's how you get people say, well, they're minor attracted people. They're not pedophiles. They're not predators. They're not people in need of mental health recovery. They're minor attracted people. And they've built a system on these phones, on your laptop, on your iPad to support that lie that pedophiles, mentally ill pedophiles are minor attracted people. And we need to make room for them in polite society. There's a process to getting there and building this system that punishes, diminishes, obliterates truth is part of this bigger picture. And that's why uh, Stephen A. Smith is important and that's why I've been talking about it I want to, uh, before I go a cut deeper, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk with you guys about another one of our great sponsors and a product I've used in my own home for years. We all know the value of a good night's sleep. We feel better, look better, have more energy. The list is endless. Yet, sleeping better has never been a resolution of mine. I guess because it always seemed like a lost cause. I was either too hot, too cold, or too something. That is until I discovered Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth turned my sleep around with the softest, most luxurious, responsibly sourced bedding on the planet. And because their bedding is made with premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo, it's naturally temperature regulating, so I sleep comfortably year round. As one customer put it, buy these sheets. The difference in my sleep was immediate and worth every penny. I couldn't agree more. Experience life-changing luxury with Cozy Earth's bedding, 
bath and apparel, all backed by a 100 night sleep trial, as well as a 10 year warranty. Visit CozyEarth.com for details. Right now, you can save up to 35% off. Go to CozyEarth.com and enter my promo code FEARLESS at checkout for up to 35% off your first order. That's CozyEarth.com, promo code FEARLESS. All right, so uh, I played you the conclusion of, of Stephen A's rant. And, and <clears throat> I want to walk you through uh, some of, well, for those of you that are, are trying to understand the whole genesis, uh, what provoked this feud uh, between Stephen A. Smith and I, I just want to give you a, a tiny little taste of some of the things I've been talking about, some of the things about Stephen A.'s narrative as spelled out in his book and as spelled out in interviews he's done for years and why I'm raising questions about them and why they don't seem to add up. Some of this comes right out of Stephen A. Smith's own mouth. And, and, and there'll be, oh, he's just lying about his basketball stats and blah, blah. No, he, he, when you start telling all these small little lies and exaggerations and just farcical stories, it, it's a sign like, whoa, this person is really comfortable distorting the truth. And, and there's a, and I, as I've said, Cat Williams talked about people being installed like Kevin Hart. And I'm saying that's also part of my industry, the sports media industry. And so I, I just started with the little small things and things Stephen A has said on television himself that are just like obvious lies. And then you start to, well, if he's telling this little lie about this, and he's built this whole narrative around, hey, I was a former college athlete, basketball player, and I broke my knee, and if I hadn't broke my knee, man, I was killing everybody in basketball, and you know, if you weren't, I mean, the guy actually said, if you weren't a high-level college player or an NBA player, I was killing you. And, and it, it seems insignificant, but it's just not. It, it, it's the beginning of raising questions about his entire narrative. And so I, I just, I've played this before, many of you have seen it, but for the new audience and for the people tuning in to see, hey, wh why does Stephen A just make a fool of himself for 50 straight minutes and do all that name calling? Why was he so emotional? Uh, it's because I pointed out, we're gonna start with SOT uh, 15, I believe. Yeah, SOT 15, uh, this is Stephen A, I believe in November of 2022, uh, I think he's caught off guard because ESPN producers have cooked up a humorous segment uh, making fun of Stephen A's college career that he's talked about for years, his college basketball career, compared to Jalen Rose and J.J. Reddick. Play the clip. We're coming off college hoops, guys. Yeah. So I do want to show you all a little something. I got a little something to show you here. Before we dig into the NBA, take a look at this blind resume here. It's three players. Their scoring average in each person's final college season. Do we, do we have any guesses who this might be? Jalen, <coughs> who do you think? What, what, what is this? Nah, this is hilarious. JJ's ah! on the right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're not telling us I only played one game because I cracked my kneecap in half, but that's neither here nor there. That is neither here. So, as I pointed out previously, and so I'll condense this, be more concise, 
The man is on TV saying he averaged one and a half points per game in college because he only played one game that season. You can't score one and a half points in one game. It's an impossibility. It's a lie. And we've wondered, well, why would he do that? And, and we've pointed out and shown that there's a stat sheet from that season, 1990-91 season, that lists a Stephen Smith as having played nine games for that Winston-Salem State team. So why would the stat sheet say Stephen Smith played nine games and Stephen A. Smith be on TV saying, I only played one game? It just doesn't add up. Oh, it's just a slip. He didn't, he was confused. He didn't, one game, nine game, what? He was just confused. It doesn't make sense. Who's confused, particularly someone who's made such a big deal about their college basketball experience and his cracked knee and playing for big house games? It doesn't add up. Stephen Smith's on the stat sheet for nine games. This guy's on TV saying, I played one game and averaged one and a half points. Stephen A. turns around eight, nine months later, I believe in August of 2023, goes on his podcast and disavows everything. He says he didn't play any games. Play the clip. Let's get the basketball stuff out of the way. I'm sick and tired of people lying about my basketball resume. Ladies and gentlemen, when I say that I wasn't great, I'm talking about compared to greatness. I was good enough to get a basketball scholarship. I was good enough to get my education paid for. With two bad knees. They talk about I averaged one and a half points a game. I saw some article on social media. That's a lie. It was less. See that? You didn't know I was going to say that, did you? It was less than that. It's a lie. How about zero? Because I never played. Because I cracked my kneecap in half. I got operated on at Wake Forest University. In Winston-Salem, North Carolina, my mama was by my bedside. My sisters came to see me. They said I'd never walk straight again. My bone cracked in half. My first year at Winston-Salem State. I still have those knee pains to this very day. Still, in the knee that still has a six-inch screw. In it that I never took out and in the left knee because I spent years overcompensating for the pain in the right knee you didn't know that did you did you you want to sit up there and think I just ride the bench I couldn't play ask people who played against me whether or not I could play so look at your knee if you're listening to this right now or watching this, just look at your knee. Perhaps if, if you need to get out a ruler or something to measure with, it's most people's knees can't handle a six inch screw. Their knees just not big enough. Stephen A is 150, 160 pounds, six foot one. I mean, he's really thin. 
but he's got a six-inch screw in his knee. I, I'm not going to play the clip because <coughs> uh, I, I didn't ask for it, and I just didn't. I don't want to bog. But but go look. I think there's a 2017 video of he and James Harden shooting hoops on an NBA court. And go look at the way Stephen A. Smith is moving around as he throws up all these bricks. He's unguarded, throwing up bricks, and James Harden is laughing at him. Go watch that video and, and tell me where's the guy with the six-inch screw and the two bad knees and, and just, like, why are you yelling and screaming? My mother came to see me. My sisters came to see me at Winston-Salem State at Wake Forest. He, he's yelling and screaming about facts that don't really matter. He's emphasizing the wrong things. Why? And, and this, you could, oh, this is just small and petty. So what? He lied about his college basketball career. What else is he lying about? Who is the Stephen Smith listed on the stat sheet? Is it Stephen A. Smith or is it a different Stephen Smith? I don't know anybody. Oh, look at that. We, <laughs> I don't know anybody who uh, plays any type of college athletics, plays in nine games, and then goes on to say, nah, I played in none. Who does that? You're listed on a stat sheet. Everybody thinks you, you went around bragging about how you played for Big House Games and Big House Games was your best friend and, and your father figure and mentor. It, it just, it raises questions. And that's why I, I, inst I raise the possibility, installed, and just like, who is he? I pointed out that there's some really short guy named Gary Stevens who Stephen A. towers over. Stephen A. is six foot one. There's some dude that appears to be around five foot eight, five foot nine, named Gary Stevens that Stephen A. runs around the country with, who says he was Stephen A.'s teammate at Winston-Salem State. There's no proof of it. We've called the registrar, trying to find out, is there a Gary Stevens that was at Winston-Salem State during this time period? They said no, couldn't find it. There were other people that we asked about, other people listed on the stat sheet, that they could find them in the registrar's deal. The only Gary Stevens that I was able to find was referenced in a 1989 newspaper story as a six foot three guard coming in from Inglewood, New Jersey. So this is published, I believe, in July of 1989. And so it makes me say, I want, this is the Gary Stevens, perhaps, that maybe he told Big House and them that he was 6'3", or someone did, and he shows up at 5'8", and 5'9", and they say, nah, can't help us, guy. Yeah, I know we put out that story that, you know, the 6'3 guard was coming, blah, 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 but uh, you're 5'8", 5'9", the whole story is bogus. Uh, you're not on the team. You're not. And, and, and then we find this Gary Stevens that he went to school at Old Westbury in New York, a very tiny school in New York. But he's parading around the country as Stephen A. Smith's best friend from the Winston-Salem State basketball team. They call him Spank. 
Help me out here. I'm just. Stephen A. tells this farcical story about he's told it for years. He's Big House Gaines' best friend, and Big House Gaines is his mentor. But I told Big House Gaines that I was going to write a story that he should retire because of his health. And I did it, and I told Big House beforehand, and then I wrote the story, and the chancellor tried to kick me out of school. The the coaches tried to kick me off the team, he says. And and I go find the article from the student newspaper at that time. It's published in the April 1991 edition of the News Argus. It's a review of the 9091 season. Makes sense. April. Basketball wraps up in March. Stephen A's writing a review of the season, and he's talking about, uh, you know, no one knows what happened. And he's quoting anonymous players saying this or that. <coughs> <coughs> Nowhere in the story does Stephen A say, I was on the team. Here's what happened, or here's what I think happened, or here's what me and my teammates talked about having happened. Nowhere in that and nowhere in that story does he call for Big House Gaines to retire. It, it's it's bizarre. It it raises questions as a journalist. It start, what's going on here? There's a Stephen Smith that played on the basketball team and acquired some stats. There's a Stephen A. Smith that's on TV saying, "No, nah, I played one game. No, I played zero games." There's a Stephen A. Smith that says, no, I broke my knee in half in 1989. There's a Stephen A. Smith that's writing a story as a journalist trying to figure out what happened, why they had a disappointing season. He never provides any insight. Again, he's a member of the team, allegedly. Wouldn't you at some point say, this is what happened? So we came up with this wanted poster. We're just looking for any information, and I say this in all seriousness, that proves that Stephen A. Smith was a member, a legitimate member of the Winston-Salem State basketball team. Stephen A. Smith tells a farcical story about a one-day tryout in February of 1989 or 88. Yes. February of 1988, yes. One day tryout in in North Carolina, knocks down 17 straight three-pointers, gets a scholarship on the spot. All we can find on the internet, all ESPN has ever promoted, and they've gone to Winston-Salem State's campus twice with Stephen A. Smith, promoting Stephen A. Smith's career at Winston-Salem State, and they run that picture and a similar picture like that, steel photo headshot from a team program. Now, you go do a show for two hours at Winston-Salem State, and it's a celebration of Stephen A. Smith's time at Winston-Salem State, and that's the only photos you can show and produce? In one of my previous shows, you have to go back and watch it. I just went to my cell phone 
and pulled up five or six pictures just in my cell phone for really no reason that capture my entire football experience from fourth grade all the way through Ball State, just candid shots of me and my boys hanging out at a nightclub, uh, pictures of me and my teammates, just candid stuff, stuff. Pictures, me and Stephen A are the same age. You take these type of pictures. We can't find any of it as it relates to Stephen A. Smith. All we can find is the headshot. It, it, it makes no sense. It's odd. Maybe there's an easy explanation for it. That's what I was trying to provoke from Stephen A. Smith. Give us an explanation. Help us understand. And so inadvertently, last night, I think during his 40, 50 minute rant, <clears throat> let me find the uh, slot, the slot, let's see. Where's in front of uh, him? It isn't there. We got a clip of Stephen A. I thought talking about uh, the money he's given to, or he's Doctor Stephen A. Smith. All the do we have someone talk to me in my ear? Oh yeah, start number ten. Doctor Stephen A. Smith. Uh, we we got this clip from last night. Stephen A. talking about all the money he's raised and why they call him a doctor at Winston-Salem State. Let's play that clip. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I'm an honorary doctorate member. I have an honorary doctorate from Winston-Salem State University because of my contributions to Winston-Salem State. I'm called Dr. Smith. Has something to also do with the contributions that I make because I believe about upliftment. I'm an ambassador for HBCU week and I've partnered with Ashley Christopher and Mir Persicki in Delaware and others to generate over 10,000 scholarships in excess of over $65 million in scholarships for African-Americans. So here's what he's saying and he's telling on himself. And, and he's providing protection for himself. I generate a lot of money for Winston-Salem State and HBCUs. So don't ask me any questions about my experience at Winston-Salem State. I make money for Winston-Salem State. I generate money for Winston-Salem State. He's basically... Inadvertently providing a motive for why Winston-Salem State might allow a Gary Stevens and these other guys to go along and promote a myth and exaggeration that Stephen A. Smith received a full-ride basketball scholarship from Winston-Salem State after a one-day scrimmage tryout in February where he knocks down 17 straight three-pointers. He's a doctorate. He's raised $65 million for HBCUs. He's donated a ton of money for Winston-Salem State. He's bought a resume, perhaps. I don't know. I just, I would love for him to address some of this stuff. And so what he did last night, instead of addressing any of the uh, legitimate questions that his book raises, he, he started, look, look what I've done. Don't worry about the lies I told. Worry about 
what I'm doing with those lies. Let it go. If you look into my background and bring me down, who's going to help you raise that $65 million for HBCUs? That's his argument. Don't look into, don't address any of the questions raised legitimately by Jason Whitlock in this book. Any of you other journalists that are running out there thinking about following up on the obvious questions Jason Whitlock has raised, don't do it. You're destroying 10,000 scholarships for black kids. Don't you see what I'm doing? Don't you see all the help that I'm providing? Jason Whitlock isn't generating 10,000 scholarships for HBCUs. Jason Whitlock is a white supremacist. I'm a journalist. But more than that, I'm a Christian, and I believe all truth is good. All truth is necessary. Any attack on truth is really an attack on God. Any attack on truth actually poisons the culture and creates the chaos and immorality that is running rampant in America. I, I want to uh, give you an additional part of the explanation of, of why I'm talking about Stephen A. Smith, why I've used the Cat Williams interview and now Stephen A. Smith to expound on these points and try to explain to you what's going on with American culture. All of the, when I first read Stephen A.'s book, <coughs> <clears throat> the first thought that ran through my mind was, oh, man, we, we got the Barack Obama of sports. Sorry, I got to blow my nose. We got the Barack Obama <clears throat> of sports. This guy has written a book with a farcical narrative to promote a political career. I'm talking about Stephen A. Smith. We know Obama did it. But all these politicians do it. Or many of them do. It's part of the playbook. And so when I read Stephen A.'s book and saw, well, dang, this dude's promoting the vaccine. He's taking unprovoked pot shots at Donald Trump. He's, he's taking all. He's pretending that uh, the police in Troy, Michigan, uh, locked him up for no reason, and that the two white people that were in the car with him, that were peers of his, uh, they didn't help him. He had to call some black woman in Atlanta to get him out of jail. And, and this is why the wanted, we got, I'm looking for tips. Who were the reporters, he says, that were with him the night in Troy, Michigan, when police arrested him for driving on a suspended license and doing nothing, and eight cops surrounded him. He said there were two journalists with him. Could we hear from them? Could they email me? Could they go on Stephen A's podcast? Stephen A. Smith has vowed to never say my name again. He doesn't have to say my name again. That's not the point. I want him to explain his book. 
That, that's, you don't have to mention my name. Just address the questions about your book and this farcical narrative that you've been promoting. And so there is a blueprint for people in power that the regime is installing. I'm telling you, Kevin Hart pointed it out about Kevin, I mean, uh, not Kevin Hart, Cat Williams pointed it out about Kevin Hart, about Steve Harvey. They come up with these fake narratives. They steal other people's narratives and apply it to themselves. They take a deal to promote all the right things. That's what's going on here with Stephen A. Smith. And so I listened to him last night. I don't think we have this clip, but at one point he starts talking about how he's good friends with Sean Hannity and Mark Levin. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm really sitting there listening to this going, really? Are, are, are they aware that Stephen A. Smith is a hardcore leftist pretending Using them, perhaps, to paint himself as a moderate? Have you not been following Stephen A. Smith's promotion of the vaccine? Promotion of illegal immigration? Promotion of the Black Lives Matter narrative? I'm, I'm in no way trying to police who's friends with who because I got some leftist friends. But when I start seeing Stephen A. start name dropping people to build himself up and, and try to position himself, well, you know, I get along with everybody. I'm like, you go look at the, the facts and the stats and what he actually does and what he actually supports. This dude's a hardcore leftist who's written a book trying to position himself as a potential political candidate. And, and if you're Watching Stephen A. Smith's ego, if you're paying any attention to Stephen A. Smith's ego over the last five to seven years, this dude thinks he could be president. He's been asked about running for president, and he didn't laugh off the question. <clears throat> That's why plant. Cat Williams talks about these plants. Stephen A. Smith, a plant. I, I want to let's play sot number seven. I think this is where Stephen A. calls me uh, worse than a white supremacist. Ladies and let's gentlemen, as a black man, I often told y'all I cannot imagine as a black man knowing our history anything worse than a white supremacist. That is until Jason Whitlock came along. He's worse than them. He is the worst, most despicable, lying, no good, fat ass human being I have ever known in my life. So I'm worse than a white supremacist. And all it took for Stephen A. Smith to reveal this to his audience was for me to review his book. That's what it took. So I published uh, a harsh written critique of his book. 
and I did a video uh, walking you through the silly things he said in his book, the silly things he said in interviews, and the attack on Stephen A. Smith proves and compels him to point out that I'm worse than a white supremacist. Now, if there was someone in the media that you knew was worse than a white supremacist, why would you wait so long to reveal that? Now, me and Stephen A. Smith had been at odds for a decade. He waited until I reviewed his book and called into question the farcical things he said in his book to go, oh, yeah, he's a white supremacist. He's worse than a white supremacist. This is the go-to response of the left. If you criticize anything they do, well, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're sexist. <clears throat> Why would you notice these far-fetched exaggerations I put in this book unless you're a racist? Stephen A. wrote a check that he can't cash. He's run around for several years pretending as if he's the baddest man on the planet and he ain't afraid of nobody. And all these athletes should be scared and everybody else should be scared. I mean, he's, I mean the guy is six foot one, 160 pounds. There's video of him boxing and all this. Steve, he's five foot nine, 130 pounds coming out of high school. This is according to him, but he's the toughest guy on the planet. He's Avon Barksdale. He's Omar Little. He's Tony Soprano. He's the boss. He's the man. And how any of these athletes challenge me, I'm Stephen A. Smith. That sounds like someone who's protected, who's been installed, and who feels comfortable challenging any of these athletes because, man, I got the backing of Bob Iger. I got the backing of the Alphabet Mafia. I got the backing of all the global elites. I was installed. I'm untouchable. Stephen A. got touched. The column I wrote about his book touched him. And like Glass Joe, he fell to the ground weeping and crying. He is the bully that got stood up to, and now he's having to deal with the ramifications that all of these NBA players and these other athletes who have been running around like, man, Stephen A is the man. It's like, no, you can touch Stephen A. Smith easily. If you read his book, we're talking about one of the most insecure people on the planet. It's the only reason why to tell the lies that he's telling. Insecurity. Ah. Uh, what did he say? What, what, what did he say? Get an ass or what, what did he? I bu yeah, I busted his ass. That's what he said. Franklin Williams, my, my six foot two, 215 pound high school teammate. 
I killed him. Set the ball down in midcourt, and the coach said, that's for you, Franklin. And I took my 5'9", 130-pound <laughs> self out there, and I destroyed one of the best basketball players on the team who's 90 pounds heavier than me and, what is that, five inches taller than me. Who says this? Who writes this? An insecure person looking for an identity, uh, posturing, posing. I'm the real man. It's hysterical. Do, do we have uh, the dead spin headline? I want to read an excerpt because I, I got to, you know, it pains me, but I got to give dead spin credit. Best I could tell, and there's been a lot of stories written about Stephen A. Smith. Uh, but the best I can tell, Deadspin wrote the best article. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm, you know, I told you, I keep it real. The headline, Stephen A. Smith says he hates Jason Whitlock, calls him a devil. That's an accurate headline. Uh, the ESPN star's vitriol is just the latest in a 2024 media beef coming to a head, and it's only January. And so Stephen Knox uh, writes a story that is, he's talking about Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel and all this other stuff. Uh, and then he transitions into me and Stephen A. Smith or what's going on with Stephen A. Smith. Then came Stephen A. Smith. He has recently been making thinly veiled references to Jason Whitlock as a no good fat bastard. I assumed he stopped short of saying his name because that's what the man desires. The only device that Whitlock has is his, in his utility belt is to generate attention by attacking uh, by talking about people in sports media and also black people. Uh, where is the line that I'm looking for? There are a handful of people in the world whom I deeply dislike, witnessing how awful grown-ups are. Blah, blah. However, I have never loathed every cell of another person's being the way Stephen A. Smith does Whitlock. Uh, he couldn't hold it in any longer after Whitlock intimated on his podcast that Smith's memoir was fabricated. That pissed Smith off. So much that after saying, I hate this bastard, his final words regarding Whitlock, you get within a mile of this presence. Wrap your arms around yourself to protect your soul. He is Cain. He is the devil. He's quoting Stephen A. Smith. And then the next line is the most honest thing that's been written and said about any of this. Who said men aren't emotional? Question mark. At the start of 2024, dudes have the real housewives appearing stoic. Deadspin is calling out Stephen A. Smith's feminine behavior and calling out the feminine behavior of men and how emotional and how trigger, easily triggered we've become. This article is the truest thing, and it don't cover the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but it's the truest thing written about all of this. They got right to the point. Men are emotional. Steve, they're recognizing. Stephen A. Smith just went on a 50-minute emotional rant. It's embarrassing. It's not what men do. Stephen A. Smith did it. And I told you all yesterday or the day before that that's his role. That's the role of, of many of these guys they're putting on ESPN. 
to normalize men acting feminine and emotionally. That's why I keep playing y'all the crying video. It's not an accident. We're being herded. We're being programmed to give in to feminine emotions and cry at the drop of a hat and pretend like words cut us like swords. I reviewed this man's book and asked some tough questions. As I pointed out to you earlier in the week, I'm most known for, or one of the 20, top 20 things I'm known for is my review of Joe Posnanski's book about Joe Paterno. You want to talk about an evisceration, go look that up. Never saw Joe Posnanski on TV whining and crying like a little woman. He didn't like it. He got it. Bob Costas and other people asked him questions about the review. He didn't do what Stephen A. Smith did. I, before I, when I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, covering the Fab Five, Mitch Album's book on the Fab Five came out. I think it was, came out, yeah. I wrote a review of it and called BS on many of the things he wrote. At the top of one of the most famous stories from that Fab Five book was that uh, Chris Webber pulled up at a McDonald's and couldn't afford a hamburger despite Michigan selling his jersey everywhere. And I was like, are you kidding me? These guys, Chris Webber, Jalen Rose, and Jawan Howard, pulled up to practice every day in a brand new SUV. Every day. I went to Chris Webber's apartment to play video games. I was young back then. And I was doing some story, interview with Chris Webber, went to his apartment to play video games. This man's apartment was plush, laid out. I was like, this dude's living better than me. And this is, what year, 92? <coughs> and, I, and so I, I wrote this and called it out. Mitch Album was furious. How dare I question his book, Fab Five? And I think I started calling him Myth Album back then. Longtime critic of Mitch Albums. Used to appear on the Sports Reporter Show with him after writing the review of his book, after calling him Myth Album. Did the man ball up in a corner? Oh, God, I will work with Whitlock. I can't be in his sight. Oh, wrap your arms around yourself because he'll steal your soul. That's not what he did. I, I guarantee you to this day, Mitch Album's no fan of mine. But he ain't no little woman. He ain't somewhere crying, oh, God, Jason Whitlock wrote a bad review of my book. I can't be within a mile of him. This is, I don't get it. I don't get it. As men, how did we get here? How? I, I, have we played the clip? Because uh, I'm a little under the weather and, did we play the clip of him calling me a white supremacist? Have we already played SOT 7? Someone tell me. Yeah, we did. All right. Thank you. 
<laughs> Steve, uh, I want to play shot number eight. Uh, Stephen A. Uh, saying that, uh, I mean, and this at some point last night I tweeted out like, man, Stephen A. is limited. And what I meant by limited intellectually. And that I was starting to feel a little sorry for him. That like, I done beat up a baby seal. He, this dude's so far outside my weight class. This is not a good look, Whitlock. This guy's limited. I want to play shot number eight and, and illustrate my point. Let's play it. In front of white folks. The white folks. Not all white folks. Not most white folks. But the white folks that dare we say may have a problem with black folks. He says, I'm your man. That's what he does. You think I'm lying? Ask ESPN. Ask Fox. Ask the Kansas City Star. Ask them all. Jamel Hill. Rob Parker. Chris Broussard. Skip Bayless. Yours truly, along with a host of black folks all over this country, every single one of them will confirm what the hell I'm saying about this piece of garbage. So I want to tie that clip before I respond uh, to sot number two, where he calls out some executives names. Let's play that. I know what he is. I have the emails. I have the articles. I have everything. I once tried to befriend this dude. I don't talk to him because he betrayed me. As he has others. He's turned his back on Dan Lebertard. He's turned his back on all of those other colleagues that I mentioned. Ask Jamel Hill about him. Ask Dan Lebertard. Ask Chris Broussard. Let me stop naming names. Ask anybody in the industry. I can give you the names of the executives if you want. All of them. At Fox. The executives. Upon telling. Their subordinates that they were bringing Jason Whitlock on board said, quote, we'll all band together and stand on the tracks in front of a train to stop it. If that would prevent you from hiring him here. He is despised. He doesn't report anymore, y'all. All he does is make noise by coming after the very people who did and still does what he once did, what he once did, what he aspires to do, but no longer has the outlet to do because he is considered a vile, despicable human being that no one wants anything to deal with. Nothing. That's who he is.
I will not be speaking on him anymore. He's a liar. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> so the first clip that I played, Stephen A is arguing that ask the people at Fox, ask the people at ESPN, Jason Whitlock uh, goes into a room with the executives who don't like black people and says, I'm your man. And so what he's saying is that these people, a Jimmy Pitaro, a Burke Magnus, uh, he, I, at some point he rattled off the names of Eric Shanks and people at Fox. He's saying that I went into their offices and said, hey, I'm the man. You're a racist white person. I'll represent you. That's what he's insinuating. And then at that, uh, the, the second clip we played, the, 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 the second point, he's, <coughs> he's saying that at Fox, when I came back there, all the executives rallied up and said, what can we do to stop it? Now, he's lying. Because that's not what happened. There was one executive at Fox Sports when I circled back there, Pete Velasteca, who had a problem with me. And his problem was that I left Fox Sports uh, two, three years earlier and went back to ESPN. And he had been reporting up to the executives above him that Whitlock's not going anywhere. ESPN doesn't want him. Uh, guys, we got all the leverage. Trust me, I got this. And because when I came back to Fox, I had to explain to people that were telling me, well, Pete Velasteca said you lied and misled him. I'm like, I didn't lie and mislead Pete. I told everybody. You know, I'm talking to ESPN and <laughs> that I may go back there and I'm certainly not, uh, you know, they got a great opportunity and I'm a free agent. I, I didn't tell, but Pete had so much egg on his face because he thought after all the stuff that I wrote at Fox Sports, he thought there was no way ESPN would bring me back because, you know, I think Aaron Andrews still worked at ESPN at that time. And I had written a funny column uh, about her situation and just I, I I'd been crushing ESPN. Remember the Bernie Fine Syracuse basketball story? Where those, that Mark Schwartz clown at ESPN was doing the stories that he had the Syracuse assistant coach, serial pedophile, and he did it with no evidence, no proof. And I was calling out, it, it, the, the receipts are all over the internet that I was calling ESPN out at every turn. And Pete Velasquez thought, well, no way ESPN will hire him or rehire him. And they did. Because my work was that good, that airtight, and in retrospect, it was like, no, nah, we're going to bring Whitlock back, and if we don't get him on board with the program, we're going to destroy him. But anyway, it made, it made Pete look bad, so he lied and said that I lied to him, which I did not. What, he's, what Stephen A. is actually talking about is what ESPN executives said when John Skipper brought me back to ESPN. The ESPN executives, Rob King, 
John Kozner, others, all said, no, don't do it. We hate this guy. Did you see what he wrote about Mark Schwartz? And did you see what he wrote about Aaron Andrews? Did you see what he, because I was killing ESPN. Go, the, the, the receipts are everywhere. And they had little thin skin and couldn't take, because whatever team I play for, I play for. It's like what Kevin Garnett said. When he plays for the Celtics, he don't care nothing about the Minnesota Timberwolves or his former teammates. He only cares about the Celtics. <clears throat> when I was at Fox Sports, I didn't care about ESPN. When I was at ESPN, I didn't care about Fox Sports. Now that I'm at the Blaze, I don't care about Fox Sports or ESPN. I play for my team. And that's it. I give it all I got. That's been my history. But this whole insinuation, I mean, it's laughable. And Stephen A., when I say he's limited, I hope someone at ESPN has watched this 45, 50-minute rant that he went on and all these executive names that he called out. That, that you know, there are unlikely that I go here. But I've had people in high places say, hey, man, this is defamation. And, and he's talking about a collusion among a bunch of executives that set out to destroy you. And I'm very much aware that they set out to destroy me and participated in smearing my reputation and trying to defame me. And Stephen A. Smith doesn't realize he just told on himself and all the other people that are in cahoots. As it relates to uh, Lebertard and <laughs> Jamel Hill, and I betrayed them, stop it. <laughs> stop it. I've, I've explained, done multiple interviews about Jamel Hill in 2007, when I was on Oprah Winfrey, she lost her mind and started calling or writing the dude at the big lead, uh, trying to tell him some story, Whitlock's a hypocrite. Because, and I was a hypocrite. But she's calling him, telling him I'm a hypocrite. Whitlock, that guy, he's the moral authority and what black people should do. And, and I've told this story a million times. This is, I'm gonna tell you, this is 2007. I, I copped to all this stuff, but I, I've been telling this story for years. She called Jason McIntyre at the big lead, emailed him, and, and was Whitlock's a hypocrite, and y'all should point it out, because I had just told uh, Terrence Harris, a friend of mine at the time, uh, about a trip I had just taken to Atlanta, I think, for the Final Four basketball or whatever, and called him, because I was an idiot back then, bragging about... Uh, going to Cheetah's strip club or some strip club, meeting some girl and going out with her the next day and getting liquored up and having a good time. And he, Terrence, is somewhere out to, you know, Terrence is my friend. I didn't know, he's out to dinner with, I think, Leon Carter and Jamel Hill or whatever, and he's repeating the story that I just told him. And then Jamel Hill tried to pass it on uh, to the big league. And I've never spoken to Jamel Hill since. Because I was like, I, I can't. 
I just, you're trying to take my personal life and uh, stories I'm telling a friend of mine, and you're trying to get people to write about it. I just don't mess with Jamel Hill. She's a snake. She's a woman. She's a snake. Dan Lebatard, I've told you guys several times that we got crossways when he let uh, the, his partner, Stugatz, tell blatant lies about me uh, and about my relationship with Colin Cowherd and things that he uh, is repeating that I, I think Colin Cowherd's a racist and all that other stuff. He, this happened on air. And I called Dan out about it in real time. Like, what are you doing? This is crazy. And that hurt our relationship because Dan allowed it. And then I just realized that my persona, my position in the media space, makes it real hard for friends of mine because they end up catching all the heat that people are unwilling to bring to me. And so they'll confront Levitard about something I wrote or said, and then he has to defend it. And this goes on across the board with all of my friends. And the ones that I believe can't take that heat, and it becomes clear that they can't take that heat, that burden is too tough for them, I give them the out and back up away from them. And so now Dan Levitard is free to sit on air with Mike Ryan and the other uh, minions on his show and take all kinds of pot shots at me and pretend like I'm the worst guy on the planet. And I've given them that freedom so that they don't take the heat and no one over social media is coming at them. They can join the I hate Whitlock crowd. Doing them a favor. Not everybody's built for the heat that I am willing to take. I get it. I'm not trying to diminish them. I'm not trying to say I'm better than them. Trying to, they're in a different position than me. So I back up and give them that freedom. And they can tell people, man, Whitlock don't talk to me. I'm not talking with Whitlock. Don't ask me about it. They get to be popular again. And they, they don't have to take any backlash. <laughs> Let me <clears throat> clear my nose and take care of a little more business here, and then I want to get back to this. Uh, I want to tell you guys about the real story of Colony Ridge. Blaze TV is debuting the second episode of our docuseries, Blaze Originals, where Glenn Beck traveled to the quickly evolving Liberty County, Texas, to give you the real story of Colony Ridge. Colony Ridge is, is growing fast, extremely fast, at a rate of 200 lots per week, and based on what Glenn and the Blaze Original team observed firsthand, the overwhelming percentage of residents are Spanish-speaking non-citizens. Glenn spoke with the developer, John Harris, and while he stated approximately 35,000 people lived there, the local officials, officials contradicted him, estimating the actual population is more than twice that. If nothing is done about this, there will be <coughs> hundreds of thousands of people living in Colony Ridge in just a few years. And that's where you come in. Both the right and left-wing media have given vastly convicting, conflicting reports on Colony Ridge, and Blaze TV couldn't have traveled there to get you the real story without your support. This documentary is only the beginning of our Blaze original series exposing corruption and what's really going on in our country, and we can't do these productions without your help. That's why, if you aren't already a subscriber of Blaze TV, subscribe now for $30 off an annual subscription by visiting blazeoriginals.com and use the promo code Colony Ridge. 
In this episode, Glenn addresses all the rumors and brings you the truth. Is Colony Ridge specifically targeting illegal immigrants to take up residency? What is the toll on the existing residents? Is any of this even legal? And would you believe me if I told you that Colony Ridge could fundamentally change the political landscape of Texas and even the nation forever? Colony Ridge poses an enormous threat to the future of our country. And again, we could not have made the real story of Colony Ridge without your support. So if you want to see this episode and future installments, help support the work we're doing by visiting blazeoriginals.com today and subscribe using the promo code Colony Ridge for $30 off your annual subscription. It's a really important story. It, it, it <laughs> if you want a little bit more context of the story, I'm going to send you off in a slightly different direction, but I've been telling you this whole replacement thing. They tried this in Portland, Oregon, uh, <clears throat> under a different, or, or in Oregon, under a different context in the seventies. They, they had that. Renusha. What is it called? Wild, 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 wild country. It's a Netflix documentary that I keep recommending to people. <clears throat> it talks about in the 1970s how some sex tribe tried to take over a part of uh, wild, wild. I think it's wild, wild country. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Wild, wild country. They tried to take over some uh, community in Oregon and started shipping in homeless people and everything. You should just watch it. The stuff that they're doing right now has all been lab tested and tried in the 60s and 70s. Glenn's on to something here. This is very important. Go check it out. <coughs> Let me, uh, I, I want to get to uh, SOT number six. And, and this, to me, helps get to the real story of why uh, these guys have such a, a problem with me. Stephen A. starts talking about Mike Wise, uh, sports writer uh, for a time at the Washington Post, previously at the New York Times, someone I hired uh, at the Undefeated at ESPN. Uh, let's play that clip. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> John Skipper, the former boss for ESPN, wanted to start this website. And if you remember, when the undefeated first came into existence, it was labeled the premier platform for intelligent analysis and celebration of black culture and the African-American struggle for equality. That's what it was labeled as. Now that I read you that quote, let me give you a quote that this guy, Greg Howard, has a recording of Jason Whitlock saying to his staff at that time, if you're more comfortable working for white people rather than working for me, and that sounds humorous, but it's the truth. Fine. This is according to audio obtained by Deadspin back in 2015. Some black people are far more comfortable answering to a white person than a black person, no matter how black they like to pass themselves off to be. Far more comfortable because they know a white person is going to overlook their shortcomings. Ugh, it's good for a Negro. I'm not about that. But if you're more comfortable working for a white person, I will find a white person for you to work for. We have a higher standard here. Everybody has to get on board with that or I'm going to find a way to move them someplace else. That was Jason Whitlock. And then he went out and hired 
or senior writer and editor, Mike Wise, who's white. This is the man that's in charge of black culture. Why can I say that? And by the way, I'm not casting any aspersions against Mike Weiss. I'm cool with him. I've always been cool with him. He used to work for the New York Times, used to cover the Knicks long before he went and moved on to the Washington Post. He's a credible journalist. I have no, nothing negative to say about him. I'm just saying black website, but you bring in your white friend. In part because black folks didn't want to work for you. But I digress. So, again, when I say Stephen A is limited, this is what I'm talking about. Mike Wise was a writer who lived in Washington, D.C. He'd never moved from Washington, D.C. The headquarters for the undefeated was in Los Angeles. Nobody was reporting in to Mike Wise. He was a writer. He was not part of the management team. He was hired because... <laughs> And this gets at the root of all these people that Stephen A is, uh, Jamel hates me, hates me, Chris Broussard hates me, everybody hates me, Stephen A hates me. I was, and we'll, we'll play this clip where Stephen A, I think, says, I was begging him to write for uh, The Undefeated. It's just not true. Their problem is, I did not want them to work for the undefeated because they weren't good enough. When I show up anywhere in the sports media landscape, standards elevate. You better produce awesome material, Whitlock, because you talk way too much trash and we don't like you and you're not part of the leftist movement, and so, man, your stuff better be game tight. And so, this is just the reality, and this is what uh, puts me at odds with a lot of the black journalists uh, in sports media and just media in general. I don't have a separate standard for them I want to be the best and do the best work. Read Stephen A. Smith's book. That should answer all your questions about why I did not want Stephen A. working for the undefeated. Stephen A. can't think critically, can't write at a high level. Uh, he has some sources a handful of sources in the NBA, but the level of work that we needed to do with the undefeated to be successful, he couldn't meet that standard. He still can't. And so I targeted, and, and just quite frankly, there's not a lot of black sports writers who at that time <coughs> could operate at the level that I felt was necessary for us to be successful. And so it's a black website. We got to cover the NBA. At the time, in 2013-14, uh, someone like Chris Haynes that works for Yahoo and now TNT, he wasn't 
a major player in NBA coverage like he is now. Chris Haynes is a talented guy and reports at a high level, has contacts at a high level, news break. He matters in NBA coverage. Now, in 2013-14, there was, there was Chris Broussard, I guess. The sources guy, his reporting not that strong, his writing not that strong. Uh, I think at that time he was on TV, maybe on the NBA Countdown show. The, the, the level of work that I want to produce, he can't do, probably has no interest in doing. He's a television star. I, I wasn't looking for television stars. I was looking for writers, and there's a total difference. The people on TV, for the most part, become major divas and have a distorted view of themselves. Jamel Hill, go look at any of her work. Anytime you allegedly put 10 years in the sports writing business and all you're known for is a Donald Trump tweet, that's it? That's not what I'm looking for. Didn't operate at the level high enough, the standard that I set. And so Mike Wise was someone who really mattered in NBA coverage, who had a great relationship with Shaq O'Neal and virtually every other player that mattered in the NBA. He's someone that could get the commissioner, I think it was David Stern at that time, maybe it was Adam Silver, my memory's a little flaw, I can't remember, but. He could get anybody in the NBA on the phone. And Mike had a friendly relationship uh, with most of the black sports media because of his long coverage in the NBA. Mike played a little college basketball. Uh, and, and Mike was, <clears throat> I knew it at the time. He's a leftist. His opinions uh, wouldn't be offensive uh, to the other black staff who were probably going to be leftists and they're working for someone who, you know, would be labeled a, a conservative. But Mike Wise has real talent at the highest level. He was as good as anybody uh, covering the NBA and writing about the NBA and doing feature stories that we needed to do at the undefeated. Mike Wise was a great hire. I mean, the dude, the other person that I hired who could write at a high level, could report at a high level, uh, was Jesse Washington, someone that I work with at Vibe Magazine. He was an editor. So Mike and Jesse were my two primary main. Jesse Washington is a black dude. But they were hired to let everybody know, like, oh, man, we're going to do high-end journalism. There was nobody else I could hire or get to somebody name the name of who these guys are that because, again, they're all pretty much now writing uh, for the undefeated. Who, who are, and again, when you talk about veteran people my age, my that it, it's hard to get there. I'll tell you another guy I hired who I think is talented, good work ethic and a good person was Jerry Bembry. Did not write at Mike and Jesse's level, but good person, great work ethic, and someone that I thought uh, in an environment and a culture that I set would elevate his writing. And I can remember uh, Jerry turned in his first story 
and it wasn't any good, and I was either called on tape or someone quoted me, you know, I was upset about how Jerry's story wasn't any good, but Jerry Bembry was man enough when he saw Jesse Washington's Charles Barkley story, he came to me and said, oh man, I get it. I get what level you're looking for. Now I understand why you're upset. And he committed to, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn up. I, 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 I now get it, I see what you're talking about. Anybody go look at Jesse Washington's Charles Barkley story, it's amazing. You go, Mike Wise wrote a, a big profile on John Wall that was really, really good. Guy named Brando Starkey with my help uh, wrote an amazing piece on Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather's fight. The stuff we put out early that I don't want to diminish any of these guys, but I was really involved in, really helped get people up to the level that we were talking about so that we could put our best foot forward initially. It was high-end work. Now go look at what the undefeated, now called Anscape, look at the work they're doing and tell me if it's on that level. It's not, and I'm not trying to take pot shots, but there was going to be a process, and I told John Skipper this, and I told everybody this. We're gonna hire a couple of key people to elevate things, and then we're gonna put everybody in an environment where they learn how to operate and perform at that level. I love to write in Google, and edit in Google Docs. We used to share the stories so that the entire staff could participate in elevating the writing and the storytelling of the work that we were doing. This was necessary because quite frankly, the black sports writers operating at that time and even now to this day, they haven't been held to a high standard. And so their work is it at a high level? And that's how they end up writing a lot of sidebars and a lot of stories that rely on very simple-minded racial narratives. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but those are the facts. And I didn't want to leave people behind. I wanted to elevate people to get to that level. You inject someone like Stephen A. Smith with his television ego into that environment, you sink the ship. You inject someone like Jamel Hill, lazy, ego out of control, entitled, into that environment. You sink the ship. So I hired two high-profile guys, or two super talented guys, surrounded them with people that I thought could be elevated over time by seeing their work and some editing help from me and the staff. That was the game plan. And people were offended that I was put in a position where I'd be like, ah, nah, not what I'm looking for. Nah, I'm not interested. And, and what made it worse was that uh, a guy, John Skipper, who was the president CEO of ESPN, he's a white liberal. Every black journalist he met, he told them they were the greatest. Oh my God, you're incredible. I remember sitting in his office, and he looked at me in astonishment. You do know that Jamel Hill is awesome. And, and I just, yeah, you know, uncomfortable. Because <laughs> like, I didn't believe it. Because it's not true. But he told everybody. I got emails from so many 
black sports writers that said they had a conversation. They had a meeting with John Skipper and he told them they'd be perfect for the project. And then I would get their work. I would get their resume. I would evaluate it. And it was like, this ain't good. Not good at all. And so, and then I would be in position. They've been told by the CEO of ESPN that they're great. And I would be sitting there saying, no, nah, I don't think you're a fit for what we're doing right now. You know how I many different people I had to tell that? Who now hate my guts because some white liberal man told them they were the greatest. And Jason Whitlock said, ah, there's some work to be done here. Not sure you're a fit. That's how you set someone up for failure. That's how you set someone up for all of this animus because you don't have a pair. And because you want to be loved by everybody and because you want to be seen as a white savior and the greatest white man on the planet. You tell people either lies or you're clueless and don't know what you're looking at. But you put me and again, I'm not whining and crying because Again, I don't mind telling people the truth, but that's what happened. And that's why all these people run around. Oh, I hate Jason Whitlock. He tried to hire him. Put, put <laughs> I want to show you this tweet of Jamel Hill uh, from last night. <laughs> uh, someone asked her a question about Stephen A. And she said, I did. Stephen A. Smith told the truth. Old boy tried to recruit a bunch of us to do some work for what was then the undefeated, and we did not want to work with him. Good Lord, Jamel, just stop lying. I never tried to hire you, ever. They could have offered me a billion dollars. You're a hack. Let me be clear, I don't want to fall into Stephen A's deal. Works speak for themselves. Have her show you any of her work throughout 20 years of writing and journalism that anybody remembers. There is none. There's a tweet about Donald Trump. Her entire career is based off a tweet about Donald Trump. We weren't going to be a tweet site. They are now, but we're, that's not what the intention was. Stan Verrett. This dude went to Twitter. He was planning a feature on the undefeated called Open Look, where any of us could write commentaries. We spoke about it walking on Olympic Boulevard one day. Once I saw how dysfunctional the whole enterprise was, I passed on being involved. Stan Verrett is very limited. I'm not going to respond. I, I just, it's just not true. It's just not true. Gregory Lee, he interviewed me for the undefeated and it was the worst experience. It probably was, Greg, because you're not that impressive. You weren't that impressive then. You're not that impressive now. You're someone that's been installed, someone that uh, had a few positions that you weren't qualified for. I'm sorry if I wasn't interested in hiring you. And I'm sorry that you ran into an interview where someone just didn't uh, want to give you a job. I didn't. Because you couldn't help. Sorry. Uh, 
Stephen A. made a big deal. I want to play this clip. D- didn't he make a big deal about some email? That, what sod is that? Do we have that? Don't we have an email sod? Iverson played our bully. Willock Kane. Someone speak in my ear because again I'm sick and maybe I'm I'm blurry eyed. Did we get a sod about the email or no? Maybe we we don't have one. All right, but Stephen A. made this big production about some email uh, that I sent him where he uh, alluded to the fact that I was begging him for a job. And so I I just I want to give you a little context around this because he is accurate. I wrote him an email apologizing. But he's taking it completely out of context. It was not about begging him for a job. It was might be nine. Oh, yeah. Begging him. Yeah. Play SOT nine. While you were on Blaze TV. Spewing that bullshit to people. Did you tell him that? Did you tell them how you stood outside, outside of first take begging me to talk to you? Did you tell them that once the same article in Deadspin came out, weeks later you wrote a lengthy apology to me in an email begging me to forgive you, pointing out how you were betrayed by this particular writer so you know how I must feel that you betrayed me? Did you tell the folks that you bitch? Did you tell them you fat piece of shit? Did you tell them that? Got the names. We got Jamel Hill. We got Howard Bryant. You want me to bring up the other writers that wouldn't work for you? Of <clears throat> of all the writers that he mentioned, Howard Bryant has talent, and. Uh, I'm sure I made some overtures at some point to bring Howard on. Howard uh, was jealous of me, didn't like me, spent all of his time in John Skipper's office telling John Skipper how Skipper made a mistake by giving him the project. He should have given it to Howard. Go go look on Deadspin. Howard Bryan announced that he was replacing me, and and, uh, it blew up in his face, and he didn't get to replace me. (laughs) This is a mess, and anybody... (laughs) We're a dysfunctional group that can't uh, work together, can't follow each other, can't be led by each other. It's, it's, it's all we can do is it should have been mine, and that was Howard Bryant. But I, I want to get to the bottom of this email. Uh, Stephen A. is suggesting the email. Uh, came after this Greg Howard uh, wrote this lengthy piece on me. His timing, his memory's fuzzy. Stephen A's wrong about that. The email came, Greg Howard at Deadspin uh, was a kid uh, that I was considering hiring at the Undefeated. We were in regular communication about him working for the Undefeated. And, you know, uh, the day... Talk to him one day, and the next day I'm reading on Deadspin that uh, Jason Whitlock, he, he's, he's written some piece about black quarterbacks in the NFL, and he's written about every black quarterback that ever played in the NFL. And he's, he goes into his explanation about RG3, 
and turns it into a story about me and my criticism of RG3. Because I was on very early that RG3's ego was out of control and it was going to undermine his career, and I kept writing about it, and I was proven true. But at this time, this guy was some Washington Redskins groupie, loved RG3, and so he was upset, and so he wrote this whole deal about how Whitlock's criticism was basically calling RG3 the N-word. He wrote this on Deadspin. Everybody knows I don't like the N-word. I don't like to use it. I've written many pieces about, done shows about explaining why black people shouldn't use the N-word. Everybody knew this. Greg Howard certainly knew it. It's intentional. And so uh, being friends with the guy, and then seeing and talking to him one day, and then the next day, the very next day, reading an article where he's uh, distorting, smearing me, trolling me, whatever, it upset me. It, it, I've just got to be honest. It's like, holy cow. How can you be nice and trying to assist someone and talking to someone a couple times a month, just talked to him yesterday, and they do this to you? And it made me, as I've told you all many times, my experience at ESPN in 2013 and 14 made me do a lot of reflecting on my life and the way that I've conducted myself. Made me ask a lot of questions like, wow, why do people, this response, this visceral hatred, this, how could I be helping a young person and that person be killing me in print the next day. And it made me say, have I ever done that? And I had to admit to myself, oh man, this is what Stephen A. Smith probably felt like when I wrote a piece for Fox Sports criticizing him for using the N-word live on air. It wasn't that Stephen A. Smith had been helping me or anything like that, but Stephen A. Smith had every right to think at that time, hey, me and Jason Whitlock are friends because we had been friendly and never had a harsh word. Remember we had, after the quite frankly thing got canceled, I remember we went out uh, to, to lunch in New York and I was giving him some advice, he was giving me some advice. We were always friendly. I mean, Stephen A. was a load and just, you know, overwhelming, but we were always friendly. So I think we're going to put the email up on screen. I'm certainly going to read it to you. Uh, Stephen, this apology is long overdue. This week, a young African-American writer I considered a friend and someone whose career I'd taken an interest in took a public pot shot at me at Deadspin. I was devastated. I talked to this kid frequently, twice a month. I'd communicated with him the day before he took the pot shot at me. He never said a word, never warned me it was coming. I've known this kid for a year. In my depression and disappointment, I thought of you. I asked myself if this is how Stephen A. Smith felt reading my column at Fox Sports. I became more depressed. And although the circumstances are different in these two scenarios, one thing is accurate. When I wrote that column for Fox Sports, I considered you a friend. I was appreciative of our friendship and the loyalty you had shown me over the years, particularly when you and Chris Broussard publicly defended my reporting on Billy Hunter and Derek Fisher. I owed you a phone call before I wrote that column. 
I owed you an explanation before I wrote that column. I owed you that respect. I also owed you a more compassionate column. I regret not giving it to you. Whether you accept this apology or not, I give it with all sincerity and no expectations. I'm sorry, Whitlock. That's the email. Not begging this dude for a job. I'm offering him a sincere apology. I'm, I'm taking personal stock of me and my behavior and asking myself, man, this Greg Howard just did something that really offended me and hurt me. Have I ever done that? And I said, yeah, to some degree, you did that to Stephen A. Smith. And <coughs> John Skipper, John Kozner, the execs at ESPN, have been asked, hey, man, you got to figure out a way to make peace with Stephen A. Smith, make peace with Stephen A. Smith. And this situation with Greg Howard, and I believe the email is dated February 7th, 2014, was an opportunity to humble myself and uh, offer an apology to Stephen A. Smith, try to make peace. There, that's it. It's, it's, that, that's it. It wasn't begging for a job. None of these guys that are running around claiming I was begging them to work for me, they're lying. I was telling them for the most part. And again, Howard Bryant, he's a talented writer. Leftists, all, all I got to work with over there is leftists, but I didn't care. Because, again, we were going to set a standard. And we're just going to follow wherever the journalism leads. And so I, I want to reference back to the Charles Barkley story that, that I talked about. <clears throat> and by the way, th this is just going to be one long show. <laughs> and I'm going to come in tomorrow, guys, and I'll, I got some work to do, but... I'll, I'll tape something that provides us protection for Monday just in case the weather goes uh, foul. Uh, I'll, I'll come up with something for us that we can air on Monday. So, But anyway, now I've just lost my train of thought. What was I just talking about? So, yeah, I was about to tell you about the Charles Barkley story and how we're just going to follow the journalism wherever it took us. We went into that Charles Barkley story with a theory on what was driving Charles Barkley. Me and Jesse talked about it, and, and my theory was, man, Barkley just says all this stuff because he wants to be the Rush Limbaugh of sports television. That was our theory that we went into the show with. When Jesse and uh, I can't think of Ryan's last name or can't think, anyway, Two reporters, we, Jesse was the primary reporter. By the time we did all the reporting and, and you know, had incredible access to Barkley, went to Leeds, Alabama, and, and just figured Charles Barkley, I went to the church that his grandmother grew him up in. We, we figured out like, oh man, this dude mirrors Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington had great influence over the state of Alabama. And his mentality had great influence over the state of Alabama. And so the reporting took us to an authentic story in place. And Charles Barkley told me, anybody that's read the story has told me, it's the best thing, the most profound thing, the best explanation of Charles Barkley ever published. So 
That's the and so I didn't care what people's worldview was, what their political worldview was, because I was going to establish a culture where the reporting drove the writing, not an agenda, not a preconceived notion, not a narrative that we wanted to promote. We were going to let the facts take us to the story. And we did that. That was the culture I was trying to establish. If you, again, I just want you to understand, look at Stephen A. Smith's book and what I've exposed to you about it. That's not the facts driving the narrative. That's fantasy driving the narrative. I wanted to avoid that. And I wanted to avoid any of these TV people that live in a fantasy world and are addicted to narrative. So all of these people, oh, Whitlock, he just, man, we didn't want to work with him. It's all a lie. <sighs> we'll give you another, another lie or just a, aversion to truth or reporting or anything or just the simple mindedness. Oh, Stephen A. talked about me and Allen Iverson and some plagiarism and play the clip. According to reports, literally tried to put a tape recorder under a hotel door to spy on what Allen Iverson was having to say. According to this article in Deadspin, he plagiarized one of his own editors. Somebody with these credentials, with this history of iniquities, with this disgusting reputation, y'all want to listen to him talk about me? Fine, but let me leave you with this before I get on out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, you know why he's talking about me? Because I get him clicks. That's what he's been reduced to. See, this is a passion and a hobby for me. I have a day job that's paying me quite well. I own and operated this. This cost me money because I invested my own money with my new studio, with my staff, and with everything that I've done to do this. He's leaning on Blaze for a check because he can't find one anywhere else. I ask any of you connected to this industry from this point forward because I know my colleagues. They don't want to touch this subject because he's a bully <coughs> and they don't want to deal with the fallout of him constantly coming at them. I don't give a shit. He came to the one. <laughs> it's so comical. It's 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 so delusional. This whole tough guy. He came to the one. I don't give. It's so womanly. You just run in your mouth, man. And, and 
I'm a 56, you're 56. This whole tough guy routine, them tough guy days, they're 35 years in my past, 30 years in my past. You ne- they've never been a part of your life at all, Stephen A. You're barely 160 pounds. If I blow on you, if I flick you in the back of your ear, you're going to fall over crying. Cut it out. It, <laughs> it's, I've never seen anybody more insecure, but I, I want to explain this Allen Iverson email story that people are running with. You, you know where he got this distorted information about Allen Iverson? Because his reading and comprehension skills are not top-notch. They're just not. He's very limited. I wrote a piece for Vibe magazine in the 90s, early in Allen Iverson's career. Maybe it was after his rookie season. I can't remember. But I I followed Allen Iverson around the country from uh, training camp, which I think they had at the University of North Carolina. Larry Brown was their coach, the nightclubs in New York, and all the, you know, I'm trying to track Allen Iverson, trying to get him to consent to an interview. And again, this is at a time when, you know, I'm known, but not super duper well known, but I'm known because, again, people started writing about the impact I was having in Kansas City in national magazines early on in the 90s. And so Vibe reached out to me. It was actually Jesse Washington, and I don't know why I can't think of the woman's name, but they had me write, write some regular pieces for Vibe. And so we were trying to do a cover story on Allen Iverson. He wouldn't consent to an interview. Uh, he didn't know anything about me. This is the days before the Internet. Uh, you know, th- this was, but he just didn't want to consent to an interview. And, or not a serious one. He'd give me five minutes here, five minutes there. And so uh, at training camp, Allen Iverson and I and the team were staying in the same hotel. And so in the story that I eventually wrote about Allen Iverson for Vibe magazine, where I think I compared him to Tupac Shakur, the story opens with a story about me being in my hotel room and I've been traveling around the country trying to get Allen Iverson to talk to me. And lo and behold, I'm laying in bed in my hotel room and Allen Iverson and a teammate are outside my door yelling and telling stories about Michael Jordan. And I, I'm laying in bed, I was like, that's Allen Iverson. And he's talking about Jordan and he's yelling and screaming to a teammate. And so I went to my hotel door and put a my tape recorder at the door inside my hotel room so that when I retold this story about Iverson and his teammates yelling and screaming about Michael Jordan, that I could tell it accurately. And I did in the vibe story. I told that story. Stephen A has now (laughs) distorted it like that. I went to Allen Iverson's hotel room and tried to slip a tape recorder underneath his door. That's what he insinuates. Think it through. Again, when I say this man's not logical, 
Any of y'all stayed at a hotel? Can you slip a tape recorder underneath someone's door? Do you know how stupid and silly and really dangerous it would be for me to go outside of Allen Iverson's hotel room? This is an NBA team with security. on, And this dude thinks I'm outside Allen Iverson's door with a tape recorder trying to do something sneaky? No. Guys, out, right outside my hotel door, yelling and screaming about Michael Jordan, I wanted to record it accurately so that when I repeated the story, I could do it accurately. That's the story. It's the, the I can't for the life of me, and someone will have to help me out, the, the plagiarism story that he's telling that Deadspin allegedly wrote and talked about, I need help understanding that one. Maybe my memory's fuzzy. Maybe he's talking about uh, A.J. Delario, I think, wrote a piece years ago about, there was a guy named Greg Hall that lived in Kansas City that I had helped as a journalist, and, and he got fired from a radio show that I had helped him get, and he wanted me to force the radio station to give him the job back and I wouldn't because they fired him for justifiable reasons. And then the guy spent the next 12 years telling people, hey, I used to ghostwrite Jason Whitlock's uh, stories. And AJ Dillard, again, it's, I, I, I'm thinking this is what he's talking about because I'm, I'm unaware of any plagiarism allegations. About, but I could be wrong. There's been so much written about me, and Deadspin wrote so many long pieces that <clears throat> maybe it happened. I don't know, but it's a lie and untrue. I've had so many people, so many, and I'm not going to name names, but because it's not fair, I don't want to drag them into it. But I've had so many people claim credit for my work. Yeah, I did that. I gave Whitlock that idea. I did this. I did that. And I'm like, wow. So I just. All these different places I've worked, and, and the work's always pretty consistent and the same, pretty creative. When you worked at all these different places, you think there was some editor magically producing this who I just took with me from job to job to job, or am I the common denominator? I've had good editors. I don't want to act like I'm here all alone. I've had... Very good editors. But, it, you know, everywhere I show up, there's just a great editor? Or am I giving them great copy to work with? Uh, I want to get into uh, Shannon Sharp. In particular, Shannon Sharp went on Nightcap. He had something to say. <coughs> Man, he had something to say <clears throat> on the Nightcap. And I was kind of glad Shannon had something to say. I, I, I've, I've been pretty honest. I like the Nightcap. I like what Shannon's doing on YouTube. Uh, let's play the Shannon Sharp uh, clip from Nightcap with his thoughts on the feud between Stephen A and I. Oh, right. I don't, I don't, look. I don't mess with him. I don't mess with him. He knows I don't mess with him. He likes to bring my name. You know Fox tried to feed him some information about this and that, and he threatened. Mm -hmm. 
I don't get into all that. I just look. I know who I am. I know what I am. Okay, y'all say all y'all little stuff because see the problem, the problem that he has with me. See, and this is what a lot of people have that mm -hmm. that are journalists. You see, I sit at the, I can sit at a desk on ESPN or I did it at Fox, and I can do what they do. Mm -hmm. They could never live in my world. They could never play pro sports. So mm -hmm. now, not only could I play sports and I was damn good, mm -hmm. I can sit across and I'm more entertaining. I'm more mm -hmm. informative. Mm -hmm. I'm more educational than you. And see, those that can do, those that mm -hmm. can't talk. You see, mm -hmm. they can, all they can do is talk. I could do. That irks them. Yeah. It irks them that somebody from South, rural South Georgia with a lisp that overcame that can do this. It bothered them. Shannon, that, that's just completely inaccurate. It's just not true. It's, 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 I, I don't have a problem with you being an entertainer on television. Not, not, again, I've actually, now that you're moved away from that over the top ghetto phony stick you were doing opposite St uh, Skip Bayless, I ain't did nothing but sit over here and have to, and this even started before you left FS1. I was like, you know, this Club Shay Shay thing is pretty good. And it's a better version of, of Shannon Sharp. And, and what Shannon Sharp has built with Club Shay Shay and now the nightcap, I, I've, I've been, have I not been just sitting over here, hey, hat tip, man, that's good. Have, did I not, and again, I know Shannon's not, paying attention and maybe he hasn't heard but some of you all could tell him perhaps but I've sat here and said and I'm sure he's heard like oh, I think Shannon Sharp's going to end up uh, surpassing and really has surpassed Stephen A. Smith as the most important person in this corporate sports media space he's more entertaining he, he, he does better interviews I've said he's more authentic. This version, no, the, what he was doing opposite Skip Bayless, I did not like. Over the top ghetto, over the top race baiting, uh, just it, it wasn't authentic. And I called him out for that. You know, I love the fruit, hate the tree. I called him out for that. All this, like he got a problem with white people or white people are so rape. Well, nah, that ain't true. And all this racial stuff, you know, that ain't true. He's done a lot less of that. He does incredible interviews on Club Shay Shay. And again, I'm not saying he's uh, Walter Cronkite or some great journalist, but people like coming on his show. They're comfortable uh, telling more about themselves than they do other places. They like to laugh with him. You watch his show for the most part, and you watch it with a smile on your face. And I get why it's successful. It's not what I do. It's not what I want to do. Have I done it? Anybody? Did you listen to me talk about the Real Talk podcast that I used to do? Am I capable? Have, have, have you ever seen me uh, when I choose? I'm like, I mean, I want to make people laugh. Let me do this Randy Moss impersonation. Let me put together this mono that pokes fun and makes people laugh. Can I do that? Yes. And do it occasionally and used to do it all the time. 
but that's not what I want to do. And I'm not sitting around here hating on you over jealousy. What, what I am bothered by is that ESPN and Fox Sports have basically run journalism out of sports TV. That's my entire complaint. And that's why I'm saying, that's why they installed Stephen A. Smith. He's not remotely a journalist. He has no journalistic instincts. He doesn't think critically enough. He's, he's too limited to be a journalist. But they've made him the face of the sports media. And I'm like, this is inappropriate. We need more balance. That athletes that come on and provide insight from an athlete's perspective, do it. A guy like Shannon Sharp, who's really worked at the craft, and like, oh man, Shannon Sharp can host a show. Hats off to him. I've given him credit. I've already said, like, this dude's more talented than Barkley. Barkley can't host a show. Barkley can't do entertaining interviews like Shannon Sharp is doing. Hats off to him. I'm not bothered. I do something completely different. And I made a choice to do something completely different. And that, that's this Stephen A. Smith's contention that I'm jealous of him and those who did what he did or wants to do. And oh my God, he can't work at ESPN or Fox Sports anymore. And nobody in corporate media. And that's why he's over at the Blaze. These are all choices, man. It, 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 and I'm not trying to brag, but there's no one that watched me on Pardon the Interruption or Speak for Yourself that's sitting around saying, oh man, J Jason couldn't host one of these shows? No, no one's having that question. It's not even remotely a question. The, 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 the only question is, like, is he the best at that? That would be the question. But I made a choice that like, you know what? In this lane that they're having all the success in, you can't be truthful. You have to choose entertainment and misinformation, disinformation, and the promotion of false narratives to have a super amount of success. And that's why Steve, uh, Shannon Trump was very comfortable going on TV, pretending like, oh, he's racist, America, and these white cops, they just out killing black men. And Michael Eric Dyson, you come on the show, and we're going to all pretend like America's the most racist place in the world, but I'm going to go home to my white girlfriend. It, it, it's phony. And I wasn't willing to do it. And then when I, when I started just thinking through, like, man, I, I'm trying to tell y'all the truth about Colin Kaepernick in real time, and I'm getting all this resistance, and everybody's uncomfortable, and Jason, why are you doing it? Colin Kaepernick, he's a god, and blah, blah, just go along, just say it, just, just pretend like everyone else that Colin Kaepernick isn't an imbecile. I didn't, I wanted to tell the truth. And then as my faith journey matured, it's like, I want to talk about God, and I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about the mistakes I made in my life. And I want to share that wisdom with people, and I want to continue to pursue truth. And so I did the math and said, there's going to be some financial sacrifices here. 
I said, yeah, I'm willing to do it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to rely on Jesus. And so this whole, I, I get what, what I can understand their decision making. It, it, it bothers me or frustrates me that they can't understand my decision making. They want to make as much money as possible. Go for it. I want to tell as much truth as possible. Why not just say, okay, Whitlock's doing something completely different than, than me. He's pursuing truth. He's trying to lean into his faith and spread the word and, and, and spread wisdom and, and talk with people about all the different mistakes and here's how you can avoid them. He's trying to do something completely different. It's not financially driven. And so they can't understand it. And then they're speaking to an audience that can't understand it because there's an audience of people that have been programmed in America and around the globe that money is the end all be all. I'm not saying I don't like money. I'm not saying that I'm over here starving. I'm not saying that, you know, the overwhelming majority of people would be like, man, I'd like to be pulling in Whitlock's cash. <coughs> what I'm saying is, look at my decision making, look at my actions. When, when, <coughs> when I <coughs> drew a line in the sand with Clay Travis over the lies that they told, I knew that was going to cost me money. I have a value system that I'm going to stand on. Even if it costs me money. Because that's just the way I'm built. I, I just think differently. And, and a lot of people talk that talk, but they don't back it up. And then when they look at someone like me that actually is trying to live up to that and trying to do that, they, well, he's crazy, he's a nut. He's jealous. Uh, he wants to be us. Stephen A., I don't want to be Stephen A. Smith. And, and, and I say this with a bit of sympathy. I've just never seen anybody this insecure, this unhappy with themselves. Stephen A. is smothered in $100 bills, bank accounts stuffed to the rim. And this dude still has to lie about who he is. Could you imagine that? Having all the money that you could ever imagine and dream of. Having all the adulation and attention and you're famous. But you got to write a book full of fabrications, exaggerations, and perhaps outright lies to make yourself happy. Do you know how insecure that person is? How unhappy that person is? That's a person that will have a meltdown and throw a fifth grade tantrum and go on while representing ESPN and calling yourself the face of ESPN. Make that kind of a fool of yourself. All that name calling and cursing and, and just lack of substance. That, that, 
wrap your arms around yourself and protect your soul? A book review touched your soul? That's a, man, a love tap touched your soul? And, 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 and you fell to the ground, whining and crying like a little third grader? Just think about, and I know he's appealing to an audience that, I guess, thinks like third graders. But the man has questions about this exaggerated narrative that he's painted of himself. And his response is to go on a 45, 50 minute rant. No one likes Jason. Go ask Bobby and Kimberly. No one likes Jamie. Go ask his second grade teachers. That's what he did. And called me a bunch of names. And people, oh, Stephen A. cooked you. Really? I mean, I've seen little children, emasculated men, and women behave that, the way that uh, Stephen A. Smith behaved last night. Name calling, cursing. <laughs> I I, you asked Jamel and Dan Levitard, everybody hates Jason. We've reached, or we're reaching rock bottom. And, and, and my overall message, why I keep talking about this, is we have to snap out of the idolatry of these celebrities, particularly the black ones, And, and, and deal with reality and truth. This behavior is embarrassing. Lying to people, convincing them to take the COVID shot, convincing them that illegal immigration serves their interests, smearing people as racist with no evidence, nothing. This has to stop. We got to snap out of it. If we're ever going to course correct, and fix anything. You can't live in a fantasy world where everybody who questions you or disagrees with you or says you need to improve in this area, they all can't be racist and homophobes. And I get it why you hate me. It's because I take that look. Well, man, Whitlock gives jobs to black people. It's hard to call him a racist. So, you know, we'll make up. He's worse than a white supremacist. I want to give you a, we'll end this with a little tiny dose of Dion. Uh, Dion uh, took to Twitter last night and, and celebrated uh, Stephen A's little third grade rant. Dion went and said that, what do you say? The church say amen. I'm clapping. During Stephen A's rant, and I'm just sitting there going, man, Dion, you're a Christian, allegedly. You're watching someone melt down in profanity and name calling. And you're saying the church say amen. You're a grown man. Watching a man light himself on fire, watching someone 
make a fool of himself. D D remember, Dion doesn't curse. He says darn and gosh darn and all that. You know, he's watching someone name, call and curse. Call a minister, allegedly, and ask for permission to name, call and curse. And you're celebrating it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just using these examples of these high profile people to try to explain to you, like, we got to do better. And, and, and these people are installed in their lives and they're there to promote a narrative that will destroy you and us and them. I'm out of breath and hopefully I'm, man, this runny nose. Anyway, play tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow.